Well, uh, excited to be with you all this morning, and I'm coming off of a birthday week, so we're going to take a second and just sing to me. No, just kidding. Uh, we're not. But, but one that I turned 44 this uh, week, and it was fun. I was, I was thinking about it. The longer you live, I've noticed maybe some of you uh, senior saints might really have this down. The more you realize how many things in this life are completely outside of your control. Anybody acknowledge that over the years? The more things and experiences you have under your belt, the more you start to recognize, man, there's things that, man, there, I couldn't influence that, I couldn't influence that. There's things that happen that you're like, man, I don't know what I could have done to alter that. And the positive thing of that is that so often in those moments of realization that I can't change things, there's a growing dependence on the only one that can, Right? There's a growing awareness of, man, in this state of helplessness, all I can do is cry out to Almighty God. And so a lot of us, you can think back in your life of moments that you came to that realization. A lot of times it's not under the best circumstances, right, that you come to these conclusions. For me, it started when I was a real young kid. In fact, I was, uh, my dad was a director of a camp uh, for the handicap in Ohio, and we actually lived on the the campgrounds or campsite there, and uh, it was a lot of fun actually living in that environment. There's only just one other family there, and they had uh, three different boys. And being a, 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 having two sisters, I was very happy about that. Uh, no offense to my sister sitting here in the front, uh, but uh, but had uh, one of my very best friends still uh, uh, to this day. His name was Sherman, although I called him Shermy. I don't really know that's what kids do, but Shermy at one point was on the back of his dad's tractor. His dad was in charge of grounds. The tractor kind of looked like this. I don't know if you've seen that for mowing. has those big wheels. Well, at some point in the backing up process, he slipped and went underneath one of those big wheels. As that thing's backing up, just the scream of his brother caused the dad to stop, literally saving his life by inches. I remember hearing the story of that and being, even as a, a child, recognizing, whoa, this, 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 could, this could be the end of his life. And there's this, this, this moment of helplessness that brings out a raw, authentic prayer before God that nothing else could get you there. Maybe you, as you reflect in your days and your years, you can think back to maybe not just one of those circumstances, but lots of those circumstances. The calling out, the pleading, the, 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 the transparent heart before Almighty God, I can't fix this, I need you. Well, this is the prayer we're looking at this morning with the story of David. David was one of those people, in fact, the scripture describes him as a man after God's own heart because he was fully comfortable being transparent and coming before God in these times of crisis. And I'd suggest this psalm that we're going to look at, Psalm 143 this morning, is going to lay a great groundwork for each of us for those moments of crisis because if you're not in the middle of it right now, if you haven't just come out of it, let me suggest it's on the horizon. Let me suggest that just from personal experience, that it's on the horizon. And the better equipped we are in dialoguing with the only one that can alter these circumstances, I think we're better equipped for, for managing life, for surviving in this thing we call life. Let me pray as we dive in. God, thank you this morning for this chance to get a glimpse behind the curtain 
one of the saints we celebrate so consistently of having a heart after you. God, I pray that you teach us from this interaction because, boy, life sure seems to throw things at us that need a cry to you for help. Whether it's searching for a job, whether it's a broken relationship, whether it's whatever disease that someone you care about is dealing with, there's those cries, those times that all we can do is come to you. And I thank you that those are the moments where we recognize we're full, we're not autonomous beings, we're fully dependent on you. I pray that people, even in this church, even in this room, would sense your presence this morning. Some of I am aware or even in the middle of that cry right now, I pray that you'd meet them in their place of need, that you'd make yourself real, that you'd show yourself to them even in these moments as we're together. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's so helpful if we're all looking at this text together instead of me just reading it to you. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 143 this morning and working our way through that. And it starts with a pretty clear request from David. Take a look at verse 1 of Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Start with that just as a little chunk to to, to break down. The first thing you notice is he is not uncomfortable bringing his requests before God. He's fully comfortable coming before him. And in fact, it's, as we'll see just as we work through this, he brings in this little passage 15 different requests before God. He wasn't afraid to ask for things. Hear my prayer. Give ear to my pleas. Answer me. Enter not into judgment. Answer me quickly. Hide not your face from me. Let me hear of your love. He goes on and on and on. All these specific requests. But you will notice something. That the first thing that he asks for, before he starts, he's like, man, he says it right here. Hear my, hear my prayer. Give ear to my pleas. Give ear to my pleas. You see, the truth is all of us want to make sure we're being heard, right? That's just a natural thing in our human experience. Even any of you that are parenting young children, this is something we're consistent. Did you hear me? Are you going to respond to me? Are you going to act on what I communicated? Am I the only parent that deals with this? Or, or, or for some of you, maybe a little older, maybe, maybe it's not uh, communicating to your kids. How about Siri? Siri, did you hear me? Spell, why did you spell that like that? Why did you choose that word? That's not what I said. Okay, maybe that's not your situation, but we all have a longing to be heard in the bigger thing is not just a general longing to be heard, but to be heard by our maker, one that designed us, the one that, that, that knows us on the inside out. So that's why he's making his appeal before God. Please listen to me. Hear my voice is the initial request. But the question is, how do you approach a perfect holy God? Clearly, David is aware of his sin and all of our sin. And he says, enter not into judgment with your servant for no one living is righteous before you. So he's super aware of his failings and his shortcomings, but yet he continues to make his request. And how is he able to make his request? You see it right there in the text. It says, in your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness. 
So what's his strategy for coming before the Lord? He's leaning into the Lord. It's kind of, when you think about it, is that, is that the best approach? In your righteousness, listen to me, but, but almighty God, perfect God, do, does, do any of us really want to stand before his righteousness? If it's just based on his righteousness, we're doomed. That's kind of a suicidal request. But when he combines it with his faithfulness, you see, we have a righteous judge, but we also have a faithful covenant-keeping God, a God that, that, that we can approach because of that faithfulness to his promises. The same reason we can come before him present day is because of the covenant of the cross. What he's done for us is the reason we can approach with boldness. None of us ever have or ever will be able to come before a perfect God based on our righteousness. It's based on his righteousness and his faithfulness. And even David understood that pre-cross. It's a beautiful picture of this approach. The only escape from the judgment of God is the mercy of God. So he's standing there based on the work of another. Now we know that that work of another is Jesus Christ. So my takeaway for that little section is don't let your sinfulness hinder seeking help from God. Don't let your sinfulness, your, a lot of times the enemy gets a, in, our, in our mind and says, oh, I, I can't come before him with this need because I've, I've blown it so bad, I've wandered so far, and man, it's never been based on us, our approach. But I love that this is the first thing he wants to make sure is clear. He wants to make sure that there's no enmity between him and God. It's actually shocking how many people don't pay attention to that in this life. Making, they just come blazing with their request, not making sure that there's, there's peace between them and Almighty God. So he starts with that approach. Then you see it gets pretty transparent in verse 3. It says, For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. Here's where we really get a glimpse of the condition that David's in. Listen to some of those words. Crushed to the ground, sitting in darkness, spirit faint, heart appalled. David, in summary, is running on empty. David is running on empty. He's on his last fumes, if you will, and he's choosing, and that's really the interesting thing is in those crises of of running on empty and in our last fumes is whether or not we choose to go to almighty god or we go our own direction thankfully he chooses to call out what i find it interesting is that even though he's a man after god's own heart god allowed him to be pushed to the brink of collapse you ever think about that and you're like I thought he's a good guy. He's like, he's one of our heroes, one of the people we celebrate. Uh, sure, he had mistakes, but why is God allowing this kind of turmoil in his life? We don't know for sure if this is him fleeing Absalom at this time or if this is him uh, fleeing the, uh, uh, King Saul. We're not sure exactly, but either way, in this crisis, he's choosing to call to God, but God's allowing him to be crushed. You ever wonder why that is? Why does why God allow that? Here's an important thing if there's any takeaway from this morning's message. God is not as concerned with your comfort as your character and growing dependence on Him. He's not as concerned about your comfort as He is about your growing dependence and your character development. So He allows some things to make it past the filter 
to hit you, to knock you on your back. This is a theme throughout Scripture. He's fine with us going through some discomfort. What do we do? We do that same thing with our kids, right? We're like, hey, we're okay with them experiencing some, some temporary discomfort because we know that the bigger picture is their shaping and dependence on God. Paul recognized this in the New Testament. Take a look. I think this points to the same idea. 2 Corinthians 1 says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Talking about his missionary journey. It says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Listen to this part. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Did you catch that in there? That points exactly to the reasoning. But that was to make us, not re- make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, God allows the storms and the hardships and the miserable stuff in our life. He's like, I want you to be dependent on me because then you can navigate this life so much more effectively when you're not trying to act as an autonomous being. Saying, so depend on me, he allows it. We don't want to miss that in the midst of our trial. Of John Piper, who battled with cancer, is, is quoted as saying, Lord, don't waste this cancer on me. Don't waste this cancer on me. In other words, I want to come out of it on the other side of it, more dependent on you, more, more stable, more grounded, more rooted in your love because he recognized the same thing. God's not as concerned about your comfort as he is about your growth. But he also doesn't expect us to pretend everything is rose-colored either. He invites, invites us to honest dialogue, and that's what I love about David. I mean, he's just saying, just pouring out his heart. I feel like I'm dead. I feel like I'm crushed. I feel like I, I love this kind of conversation that, that we don't have to be afraid of, of stepping on a toe or offending God. He's like, man, just come to me wherever you're at. You don't have to have it all figured out or all night, nice and painted nicely. He's like, he's like just tell him what's going on. Tell, tell him how parched you are. Tell him how you're longing for him. And the truth is, he's not as far away as you might think. He's not as far away as you might think. One of the things I've noticed with Adrian and I in our uh, relationship, and maybe your marriage is like this too, we get, get running pretty fast, get going, get super busy, get really active, got one hand in this, one hand in this, doing all these different things. And before you know it, you're like, we haven't really connected in a long time. Any other marital relationships like this? Or am I the only one? Thanks, guys. And, uh, and so, no, but what, what, we, what we realize is, is that when we actually take some time we're literally often one date night away from feeling totally reconnected. I've realized that's the same thing with Almighty God. He's just like, man, you think you're so far and you've wandered and you're out of reach. And he's saying, oh, man, if you just were to carve out some time with me, I'm there. Dialogue. Share what's going on. Be transparent. That's the invitation I love what he chooses to move towards as he starts this dialogue. Verse 5 starts by reflecting on his faithfulness. I says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works, the work of your hands. 
Think about that for a moment. What's the first thing you do when you get together with an old friend you haven't seen for a while? Hey, you start telling stories. You start reminiscing. I remember last year getting together with an old college roommate and just sharing story and story after this. Remember when we, when we ran from security in that car chase? And remember when we did this? And, and all, all these different crazy things we did because, man, there's something that happens, the bond that comes when you start to reflect on the good old days. And it's just not for the sake here of nostalgia, but it fuels our confidence in his faithfulness. It fuels our confidence in his faithfulness when we start to look back and and take our eyes off of all these unmet expectations and move towards thinking about all these amazing provisions he's provided in our life, right? Do Do you notice that? Man, talk about the best way to pull ourselves out of a pit is to start reflecting on Man, God, you've been faithful in this way. You've been faithful in this way. Look at, look at how you've cared for this. You may not have done it exactly how I, I would have done it, right? Uh, but, man, look at the way you've provided. Your provision is amazing. I was making just a little list of diff- provisions this week. God, thank you for my lovely family. Thank you for the great people in my life, the amazing church, the new house that we got, car, good health, Fun experiences, creation. When's the, when's the last time you thank God for a good laugh? My family was together this week, and one of the things that we can do uh, like none other is just laugh, just laugh, enjoy that. When's the last time you thank God for his uh, provision of laughing? How about the last time you thanked him for a good rest, a good nap? Some of you are in that right now. Uh, so a good, a good re- like anybody enjoy a nap on Sunday afternoons? When's the last time you said, God, thank you for that? It's awesome. How about thanking him for good food? Any foodies in the, in, in the house? Last, last night, I was thanking the Lord for this provision right here. Chi- <laughs> Chick-fil-A waffle fries. They're amazing. And the sauce for their chicken, you know, like that. It's it, like little things like that. A couple of weeks ago, I was introduced to Panera chocolate chip cookies with salt on them. Very controversial. Like a like a like a salty sweet, like this blend. Like, what's the last time you slowed down, took your eyes off of your turmoil and challenge, and said, "Man, I just want to take some time and just remember." Like David, I remember the the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done for me. Meditate on it. Think about it. Count your blessings. Thank him for that. Talk about redirecting your attention and humble yourself before him. Verse six, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. Now, what makes David great wasn't that he was an amazing king, that there are songs written about him, all the battles he accomplished, all the things he built, all that. It wasn't what, that wasn't what made him a man after God's own heart. It was his devotional life. It was, the, it was the position that he assumed before God. You notice what he's saying here. He's saying, I stretch out my hands to you. It's a, a picture of humility. God, I'm coming before you. I'm desperate for you. I'm parched. And weary. I'll tell you, body language says a lot there. In fact, let's just take a moment for a second. Put your hands out and say, God, I need you. Literally, if, if, say it. One, two, three. It feels good, right? 
Just, just let it go. God, I can't do this. I can't fix this. I can't solve this. I'm desperate for you. Body position says a lot. And he chose, despite being king of, at that time, or actually it might have been pre-king, but either way to approach God humbly, stretching out for God. And he says, my soul is thir- my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. My, he doesn't say, my soul thirsts for you to do this and solve this and fix this. He says, my soul thirsts for you, for you, for intimacy, for relationship, for, for that. Because he recognized, apart from God's presence, what was the point of any of this? He says, my, my soul thirsts for you. That's another picture of his humility, not asking him to do things for him, thirsting for relationship. So he goes through all that, and then you see the word selah there. Selah is a musical notation that divides two parts. It's, it actually means the word rest. It's kind of the, the pause or the exhale, if you will, before the continuation of, of the, the prayer, which actually moves towards his request. We're going to end with this last section, a little bit bigger chunk, and talk about some of the requests that he makes. It says this, he says, verse 7, Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. A lot in there. I could literally do a whole message just on that section, but I want to hit on a couple big themes there. The first thing that you notice is his boldness in this prayer. Answer me quickly. Don't hide your face before me. Don't. He, he's, 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 there's a comfortability with his relationship with God that he doesn't mind making some demands. You see, when we recognize our position before God as a child, all of a sudden there's a, there's a comfortability with all of a sudden talking to him any way we feel, we're feeling to, to bring our concerns before him. There's, there's that comfort that only a, a child can go before their dad. My, uh, in the house that we just moved into, my son Chase, his bedroom is, is downstairs, ours is upstairs, which is a whole new uh, world for us. And, uh, and so it's kind of funny, the other, uh, other night he was getting kind of sick, and I don't really know what all was happening, but about three in the morning, I hear my phone buzzing. I'm like, who in the world is contacting me at three in the morning? I look, and it's Chase texting me, telling me he's sick. He's not feeling well. I'm like, I'm like, have we really come to that point where we have to text in the same house? And, uh, and so I'm getting this text from him, and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you know what? If it was anybody other than my son texting, I wouldn't have been so joyfully, well, I can't say I was joyfully responding. I wouldn't have probably responded unless it was a legit emergency. But because it's my only son, hey, that's cool. I'll, I'll check in with him. I texted back. Hey, go back to sleep. 
and, and, so, and so I literally did. Uh, but but here, here's, here's the thing, is that kind of perspective, that kind of perspective before God allows us to bring whatever is good, whatever your request. And you've got the open door to talk to him as your dad, as your father. David was aware of his, of his position with God, and he asked for more encounters with God's amazing love. You see those requests there. Then he combines a request for protection with a request for direction. I thought that was interesting. He doesn't just ask for provision or rescue. He's like, hey, I, I want protection, but I also want direction. Because if his life is the only thing that's rescued and he's not going the way that, that Christ had called him, he's like, hey, what's the point of that? I, I need both. I need protection and direction. He makes, makes sure that he says, make me know the way I should go. I think a lot of people misunderstand prayer thinking it's a means to accomplish our wills, thinking that it's a, a, an avenue to get across my agenda. Hey, if I can just got God on the same page as me, it will be so much better. Instead of trying to align and say, God, what direction do you want to go? Where, where, what's your plan? I want to align me with you, not you with me. That's what he gets here. That's why he keeps calling out it multiple times. Make me know the way that you should go. He says, for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve me. And you're righteous to bring my soul of trouble. And he, he points to all these requests for direction. We mistakenly think it's a means for our will instead of his. See, if it's all about our will, we can make a big mess of it. Can you imagine if God actually answered all of our requests? Like if he actually, if there was just a, what was that movie? Was that Bruce Almighty? Yeah, where those all, the all, all yeses across the board. That would go really poorly. I was listening to this story. It's kind of a funny one this week. Uh, obviously made up. There's three guys stuck on an island. They're stuck on this island and just coming to the very end of their resources. They'd eaten every coconut. They were just left. All the crabs were gone. They're, 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 de they're desperate. And so finally, as you know happens on an island, there's a bottle that washes up. And, and to their good fortune, it happened to have a genie in it, of course, because that's the story. And so the genie comes out and invites, you know, you each get one choice. Make your choice wisely. One request that you get to have answered. And so the first guy's like, man, if I could just be back in the, my, the vineyards with my family in Italy, just enjoying the grapes and the smell of, of springtime. So immediately, bam, he's back there with his family. He's so thrilled and, and thankful. Second guy is more of a city guy, wants to be back to the hustle and bustle in London. He's back immediately upon request, back in the sights and smells and sounds of the big city, was just thrilled. The third guy feeling a little bit lonely now. It's like, dear God, I'm really lonely right now. If you could just bring back my friends. <laughs> you, you see, our requests don't always complement each other. Some of you don't, still don't get that, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk through it afterwards. Um, some, sometimes our requests are the last thing we need. If God were to give us what we asked for, even some of us that are a little bit older, if you look back and you're some of the things that you were shooting for, if this would have happened, you're like, oh man, that would have really worked out poorly if I would have married that girl or if I would have done that. Or you, you fill in the blank. God knows best. And so our pursuit, as we see here, is to be led 
by Him, not us forcing our agenda down His throat. Points to one other thing. So He does ask for direction, but He does also ask for protection. Sometimes in today's day and age, in comfortable America, there's not so much of a, a fear of, a, of an enemy. I don't know, when you read sections like this, you're like, I don't really know what enemy to pray against, you know, not anybody that I want to see cut off or destroyed. Uh, maybe you have that person. Uh, that's another conversation. But, but here, when you're trying to relate this to present day, what is the one enemy that we as Christ followers have in common It's an enemy that's constantly whispering words of discontentment, words of condemnation, words of defeat. That's the enemy that's probably the most dangerous to our soul. That's what he's praying for. He's praying for that enemy to be cut off. And I wonder if maybe more of our prayers could be directed towards protection from that enemy. Because what does that enemy want? Nothing more than to see your life spiral downward, downward, downward. And that's what he cries out for. So an authentic prayer. I love how he closes with a reminder of his state. And remember, this is the king that's speaking, or potentially future king. He says, for I am your servant. In all of our prayers, that's the reminder that we need. We also see it in the text that it's for his name's sake. We're not the key player in this story. We're not the main character. You're, you're the side guy. You're the guy right on the edge of the screen. You're, you're, you're not the main character. And that's the reminder that he ends with. And man, if we were reminded of that, even in our trials and trouble, oh, this isn't about me. It's about him and his glory. I'm, I'm just a servant. I'm along for the ride. And if I get to be a part of the story, if I'm an extra, that's fantastic. But it's about him. A lot we can learn from David in this prayer and this cry for help for us. Some just practical takeaways. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't let your sin issues restrict you from coming before Almighty God. Remember, it's not based on our righteousness that we ever have approached Him or ever will be able to approach Him. Don't be afraid to ask. Be transparent. Permission to Come unglued, unplugged. Share with him literally what's going on in your heart. Man, some of you might need just even a hike this afternoon just to come before him. Spend some time talking. I, I love that same idea that he's a date night away, if you will, from reconnecting. Reflect on his faithfulness. Tell you what, that'll take your eyes so often off of your junk when you start looking like, yeah, but yes, that's true. That's still there. But man, look how he's provided in this area, in this area. Man, I think that'll stretch us, reflecting on his faithfulness. Be humble, hands poured out before him. God, I can't fix this. I'm not autonomous. I'm desperate for you. That is an amazing position to be before him. And then lastly, ask him to lead and protect you from the enemy. Some good words from Psalm 143. Let me pray for us. Thank you so much for this text, God, and thank you for this glimpse behind the curtain into a bit of David's heart, man after your heart. God, I pray that you'd stretch us in these different areas. God, give us a more of awareness of our need for you. Forgive us for operating and functioning as if we've got this all covered, as if we've got this figured out. God, my prayer is that even this morning it might be a move in that direction for some putting down their pride, putting down their I've got it all figured out mentality, 
calling out to you, literally crying out to you. God, we thank you that you don't come with condemnation, God. You come with grace and forgiveness because you're righteous, because you're faithful. God, we can cling to that. Pray that people, even in this church, I know there's a lot of people going through some heavy stuff right now, would sense that peace, that grace, and sense your presence like never before, God. You'd make, the, you'd make yourself real, even like you did for David so many years ago. Love that you're the faithful, consistent God that we can call out to, God. We praise you for that this morning. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. And that's our prayer this morning. Maybe a little homework assignment. Man, this is the season where the evenings are getting a little cooler, a little more bearable. Maybe take a walk this week and take some steps towards getting nearer to him, amen? God bless you. Have a great Sunday.